Hey, this is Barbara Corcoran. You are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. But first, we have a real treat with us today. We have Rick and Melissa Hinnant. And I, I'm sure if you've ever been a Shark Tank fan, which many of my listeners are, uh, that you remember them from season five when they were pitching a new business called Grace and Lace. It was a riveting evening for all of us who were recording that day. Every shark didn't say a word when we heard the story that Rick and Melissa told us as to how they got into their business. Rick and Melissa, welcome. And I'd love you to start with that short story, however you want to tell it. For the few people out there who may not have heard it, because I never get tired of hearing it again and again. Welcome. Okay. Well, thanks for having us, Barb. Yeah. My pleasure. Hello. So good I'm to so, always hear your voice, Barb. Always good to hear your I voice. I feel like I could start my pitch if you wanted me to start there. <laughs> yeah, why don't you start your pitch? Bring us back to that uh, fateful day that I got to be the luckiest partner in the world when the two of you trotted in with, I remember, tremendous self-confidence. And my first reaction in seeing you was, whoa, are they hot stuff? And then you opened your mouth and uh, tell us tell us what happened. Well, you know, I guess the start of our story is, is we call Grace and Lace our accidental company because we didn't start out to start a business like most people do. I call it accidental for that reason. Our story was birthed out of a tragedy. Rick and I were newly married and we wanted to start a family and we didn't think that would be challenging. Unfortunately, it had taken us several years to get pregnant. But when I finally got pregnant, everything was going great. I had a very healthy pregnancy. I never felt better and had no morning sickness. And about halfway through my pregnancy, I was at a routine doctor's visit. And suddenly at that visit, my doctor said, Melissa, you are going to give birth to your daughter in 24 hours and she's not going to survive. And that moment was absolutely earth shattering for me and Rick. And I was wheeled into emergency surgery and they were going to do everything to try to save her, to try to keep her inside me, keep me from delivering her. It was a very, very high risk situation. The surgery was successful, but I was told that I would remain in the hospital for the duration of the pregnancy, which was potentially four months. The thought of laying on my back doing nothing in the hospital for that long was uh, pretty daunting, but I was willing to do whatever it took to keep her alive and to grow her full term inside of me. I lived in the hospital there laying on my back for a few weeks, and unfortunately, the doctors could no longer stop the labor, and our little Hallie girl was born too soon. Her lungs weren't developed enough to survive, and so we lost her. It was during that time on bed rest there in the hospital laying on my back that I began to sew and create and worked with my hands, and I made baby blankets to help pass the time. And when I think of how did Grace and Lay start, that was really the place that the business had started was on that hospital bed. After losing her and going through, you know, the, the emotional trauma and turmoil of just that whole situation, I realized how much I loved creating something from really nothing. I continued to make baby blankets for other high-risk moms in the hospital and realized at that point that I love creating. You were knitting with yarn to pass the time when you're on your back in the hospital. I get that. What surprised me is that you were knitting after you lost Hallie. 
that you continue to make baby blankets, I would think that that would be the last thing that you would want to do. You know, I felt like I was so connected to her in the hospital by making something for her that I felt like that piece of me and that relationship that I was, you know, building and I could see her wrapped up in that blanket. I didn't want that to leave. While we lost her and she passed away, I felt like maybe I could still keep a piece of something. And that was that piece, still continuing to make that blanket. I mean, Barb, I shed so many tears on that blanket, continuing to make it, but I felt like I got and received so much healing from continuing and not ending that process where her life ended. Rick, what was your response when you lost little Hallie? I was devastated. We fought with everything that we had for her. We did everything that we could. We prayed our hearts out. We had a gazillion people praying with us, and it just didn't turn out the way that we expected because we never wavered in our faith that things would be fine. And when it didn't turn out that way, it absolutely shattered my heart. And I did tell Melissa approximately an hour after we lost Hallie and I had some precious time with her, I told Melissa that we had a decision to make. And as people that believe, that pray, that believed with our whole heart everything would be fine, we had a decision of, are we going to be upset? Are we going to be mad? Are we going to be mad at God because he didn't answer our prayers? Or are we going to trust him despite what happens through the absolute heartbreak? And I told Mm -hmm. Melissa, as difficult as it was, that we would have to take the stance of trusting something good was going to come out of that. And I even told Melissa, I don't know if we'll ever understand, but we're going to take the stance of a victor and not a victim. Oh, my God. Let me take a breath here. So then you had the birth of a business out of that. Was that right on the heels of losing your daughter? Or did that take time before you decided, hey, we're going to start this business? And then how did that all come about? It took some time. But, you know, what I realized with being on that hospital bed was that I loved working and creating with my hands. I grew up as a a do-it-yourself type of person. I've always figured out how to make it, figure out how to fix it. (laughs) Um, And so what I really just cued into after losing her was how much I enjoyed making and creating. And so after we'd lost her, I finished that blanket and I just kept going. There were other women that were in high critical pregnancy scenarios in the hospital and I make baby blankets for them. I even opened up a small little Etsy shop and sold little baby clothes, baby blankets and things like that. And that little Etsy shop was an outlet of that hobby. But Mm -hmm. really what it was, was a realization of what I loved and what my passion was. And that was to create. One day I just had this idea. I wanted to make a pair of boot socks for myself that stuck out of the top of my boots with a little bit of lace on it. And so I worked and worked and worked, sewing machine, trying to figure out how to get this thing to work right and look right. And in fact, Rick laughs at me because I said, after five hours of creating this pair of boot socks, I came down from the stairs and I told him, I'm never going to make another pair of these again. (laughs) (laughs) And now let me jump forward right to Shark Tank. You strutted in with those socks tipped over your boots with a little lace And I thought, my God, I've never seen a better looking 
leg in my life. You have to appreciate, I'm picturing <laughs> Melissa. Now, Melissa, you had the huge advantage of having legs that never stopped. They must have been like five feet tall each leg and a gorgeous figure, <laughs> beautiful long hair, stunning face with a handsome hunk right on your right side, as I recall, right? And I <laughs> stared at those socks and thought, wow, I wish I had those socks. I distinctly remember that. And yet I didn't own a pair of boots, but I wanted those socks. And that was what your pitch was based on, a pair of socks. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, I made that pair. Took five hours to make, said I'd never make another pair again. But because it took me so long to make, I'd wear them wherever I went. I had to get my wear out of them because of how long it took me. Strangers would stop me on the street, at the mall, wherever I was, restaurants, and say, where did you get those boot socks? Those are so cool. And I'd say I'd make them, and they'd hand me their phone number and their email on scraps of paper and say, can you make a pair for me? My gosh. And I remember one day, I don't know, I was cleaning out my purse or something, and Rick had seen and heard of all this interest, and he said, well, why don't you put that pair of boot socks up on your little baby Etsy site store? I said, well, no one will buy them. People are shopping there for baby attire. They're not looking for a woman's pair of boot socks. And I put them up and they sold instantly, which I was shocked. And then within a matter of three days, we had sold over 500 pairs of unbelievable boot socks that I had. Were you not worried? How am I going to make them? What does it cost to make? How am I going to deliver them? Most people would be stopped by those realistic concerns. Almost you were nutty enough to put them up and see if people would order them. And then you had the problem of actually delivering. How did you handle that? You know, Barb, I think that's where another decision came in because the funny thing about it is Melissa didn't know Etsy well enough to turn off the listing. The listing. Yeah, she didn't know to turn (laughs) off the listing. So sales just kept coming in. And I looked at her after we looked up a few days and had 500 of these sold that she was never going to sell again. And I said, okay, hon, we have another decision to make. Do we want to give all the money back to the people? Because they've already paid (laughs) us for it and we can do that. Or do we want to figure out how to do it? Now, I'm an entrepreneur. Melissa has an entrepreneurial background as well. And she looked at me and kind of smiled and grinned and said, I don't want to give all that money back. Let's figure it out. (laughs) <laughs> and that got me excited because I love starting businesses. So I just told Melissa, you know how to do it. Let's go find seamstresses. Let's teach them how to do it. And we'll fulfill all these orders. And that should be the end of it. And hey, great. We make a little bit of extra cash. Uh, I never expected what would come next, which was orders of hundreds turned into orders of thousands coming in. And so uh, let me bring you back to Shark Tank. You walk in, and as I recall, you reported that you had $2 million in sales, right? And how much were your socks selling for? Oh, it was $1 million. Oh, God, see that? I remember you as better than you are. And I was going to say today, (laughs) last year, I think you had $10 million. Am I exaggerating on that as well? In those few short years, you went from $1 million to $10 million in sales, right? We went from $1 million in sales our first year before Shark Tank to a million in five days. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You mean on the heels of Shark Tank, you had a million dollars in sales within five days? Correct. Yes. Were they all socks? I can't remember that actually. I believe they were. Weren't they all the sock you were wearing on the set? Barb, what was funny is that after I had made this one pair of socks for myself that I accidentally sold 500 of, 
I just lit up. I said, this is fun. People like the stuff that I make. And I started Mm -hmm. making boot leg warmers, boot cuffs, and every type of boot accessory um, that you can make, I was making. And then I branched into, I think by the time we were in Shark Tank, I had started making some scarves. Yes. So we started kind of in that accessories. Yeah. Accessories world. I mean, and now here we are, how many, five years later, and we create every single thing pretty much a woman could wear. (laughs) whole line of women's apparel. There's one thing that strikes me is that so many entrepreneurs are always asking for advice on how to start a business. And they usually do Mm -hmm. it in reverse of you. They usually produce a product, Mm -hmm. get a patent if it's that kind of a product, and then go out and see if anyone wants to buy it. What was remarkable about your story here was exactly opposite. You had a demand and then you figured out, well, there's a demand there, let me build a business out of it. What would your advice be to someone young starting a business today? I mean, is that a formula for success that people could actually (laughs) just throw something out there, see what happens? Or should people be more cautious and have a business plan and plot it out, in your opinion? You've done it quite opposite to most people. That is true. And and, uh, such a great question, Barb. First thing, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, and I think you know this, you better hit your knees and pray a lot because it's not the easiest thing out there. But practically speaking, I would say for the budding entrepreneur is that you want to learn consistently. You want to learn daily, learn as much as you possibly can from mentors, from books, from videos, podcasts. Uh, Back in the day, I was thinking about this. Uh, Melissa and I, when we were newly married, we would take 15 to 30 minutes every single night before we did anything to veg out and we would learn about business and learn about finance. Uh, We actually still do this today. We're still readers. We're still voracious to learn and get better all the time. So I would say, practically speaking, that's the first thing that I would tell anyone. Uh, Secondly, I would say to keep things simple. If something is complicated to me, I think it's headed toward disaster. So keep things very simple and take some baby steps. Rick, have you and Melissa gone down the wrong road on occasion and done something that should have been simple and made it complicated where you weren't met with success? Is that from We absolutely have. Yeah. Could you give me an example of that, for example? When you're an entrepreneur, you have to take calculated risks. Successful entrepreneurs definitely take risk, and that's just part of the game, but they take calculated, educated risks. So an example with Grace and Lace is we're coming out with a brand new product, And we know it's a risk because we've never sold anything like it before. So instead of jumping in with 10,000 units, for example, which we have done before and tied up a whole lot of money for a long amount of time, we learned from that mistake. And now we'll come out with a thousand units uh, Mm -hmm. because if it doesn't go well, then we don't have a ton of money sunk into it and we can rebound from it. Yeah, but what if it goes really well? Let's assume you get a million dollars in order. Would you not be regretful being so conservative, just producing a small amount? How do you then recover from that yes. short sight? Yeah. <laughs> yes and no. If you run out of the product so fast, that can create a fear of missing out and a demand. And if you use that properly, you can market properly and let people know that, hey, look, when we're coming out with stuff, it goes really fast. You might want to jump on it. Otherwise, it's going to be gone. I think that's mm. a, a super advantageous position to be in. Mm. 
good marketing position. And what about your Grace and Lace VIP Facebook group? I know it drives a ton of sales. I think you have like 12,000 women passionate about Mm -hmm. it. Explain that because I don't have another entrepreneur that I've invested in that has even approached an idea like that. How does that work? Because I think it's something a lot of people in business could use if they understood how you actually, well, not necessarily thought of it, but how do you use it to create demand and to create sales? Essentially, Barb, we created a club. And in order to be a part of that club, you got to sign up, you got to be qualified. It's not open to just anyone. It is truly our VIPs. I want to be part of your (laughs) Grace and Lace VIP Facebook group. How do I qualify? How do you leave somebody out? On Facebook, you just go to Grace and Lace VIPs. And then it just says, you do not have permission to view this page, but ask for permission here. And then we just ask them to fill out a couple of questions and then it submits for approval. And then we go through and approve people to be a part of the page. So I'm sorry. I don't believe this. No, no, no. You mean you actually tell people <laughs> you're not allowed in to buy from us or you let everybody think they have to qualify? We get some creepy men trying to be a part of the page. We get some creepers on there. Those people aren't welcome. They're not uh. part of my VIPs. <laughs> so what it is, though, it's a group of women that have been following us, most of them from Shark Tank or earlier. Back on Mm -hmm. my Etsy days, these are hardcore Grace and Lace fans. And so if you're a newbie and want to find out what we're all about, you want to see our styles on normal body sizes, you want to see how people style them, wear them, you want to get people's feedback of what do you like about this top? How does it fit you? That's that page that really brings a lot of value to someone who's maybe a little bit shy of purchasing online, not knowing if something's going to fit them or if the color is going to look good on them. So that Grace and Lace VIP page is full of passionate women who love grace and lace and who show selfies of themselves and style themselves and answer questions. And it's a community of women who have built each other up and encourage each other and support each other that has really been thriving. I think the genius of it is you're allowing your customers to interact with each other and endorse product or say, this yes. this doesn't quite work. Oh, it takes a lot of trust. It's almost like taking the reins of the marketer, which is you and Rick, and letting it into the hands of the customer. And so it must build yes. tremendous trust. Scary, though. It is. Scary. But, you know, we know we have built a powerful brand. We know that women are hardcore Grace and Lace fans. And these are the women that really feed that page and they esteem each other, build each other up, like I said. And not only that, but we offer the page incentives, special discounts. We give them sneak peeks Uh into our new releases coming up. And so because we've been growing at such a phenomenal rate, we've been selling out of everything so quickly. Well, those VIPs often get first access and sometimes Uh even only access to a product because they sell us out completely. I love reading the comments. I love people saying, you know, I love this page. I'm never on Facebook anywhere because of all the negativity or all the political stuff going on. But I come on this page because it makes me feel good about myself. And Mm. it makes me be encouraged that there is still good going on in the world. So we've really created a wonderful place that women love to come and join. And Barb, I'd I'd love to chime in on that and say how great of a job Melissa and the team have done with this because they've truly created a community of thousands of women that look great, that feel great, that feel safe in this community. And the friendships that have come out of this community have been mind-blowing for me to watch. An example is we had a sample sale 
a couple of weeks ago. We only do this one time a year. There was one VIP person in the group that offered to buy anyone and everyone out there anything that they wanted, and wow. she would ship it to them directly. And wow. to see that type of a community is just mind-boggling. And Melissa can tell you how many comments came from that lady, but it was astounding. Oh, my gosh. What do you do for that lady? I would give her stock in my company. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, the page is a bunch of normal, everyday women, but they're really selling each other's looks. They're styling different looks. And, you know, I think it's refreshing in a world where you see a lot of fast fashion and high fashion, you see perfect models that have perfect shapes and you see the ultimate look of the way you wish you could be. But I think they find this page so refreshing that they can see average everyday women, normal mm. sizes, normal builds, big bottoms, big busts, tall, short, <laughs> that all look good and feel good in what they're wearing. And that's really what the power of this VIP page is. Yeah. A, a phenomenal idea. I've never seen it done uh, before you did it. And I also haven't seen it since. Good for you. I have a question for you, Melissa. How do you keep coming up with so many styles? When I hear the word style, I think unique. And certainly you have your unique viewpoint. But how do you churn out? each style, each season, in advance of the season, again and again and again without burning out. Because when you're in a creative uh, field, any creative field, I think burnout is a large challenge. What do you do personally so that you don't burn out? Yes. I think there's two things that are important. One, knowing your why. Why are you in business? Why do you keep doing this every day? If you truly know your why, your mission and your purpose behind your doing it, you will be able to wake up and keep doing it every single day. What's your why? My why is that I want to, one, be able to have freedom to travel and to not be locked in to a job that requires a nine to five, that requires certain hours, that I need to report to someone. And two is that I want my family to see me as a mom, be able to be around, then five to miss work, I have to miss work, not a big deal. And three, that I want to be able to fund, I have a heart and mission and passion to be able to fund, build and fund orphanages in India and overseas and rescue the poorest of poor off the streets. And when I know that there's more than just my family that's at stake, keeping a roof over their head, but hundreds, if not soon to be thousands of orphans that we're able to rescue off the streets and give them fresh food, clean water, a place to call home, put them in an education that they've never had before. That carries a level of responsibility, but a passion that drives me to keep doing what I'm doing to be able to fund that to happen. Two questions on that, Melissa and Rick. Just for the people listening, I'm very familiar with your heartfelt efforts in putting your money where your mouth is and building orphanages again and again in India. How many have you built and how much has that cost you? I don't know if I'm allowed to ask that, but how much does it cost to build the number of orphanages that you've already done there over the last, what is it, four years, five years? I guess we started the first orphanages in 2014. Uh, mm -hmm. And we have currently built and funded seven orphanages. There's been one Freedom Home built, and that Freedom Home took 65 women out of the sex trade, uh, really girls, to be quite honest. And mm -hmm. then this year, we're going to be breaking grounds in the summer 
Coming up pretty quick on five more orphanages that will be complete in December. As far as the cost goes, it depends on the size of the orphanage. Uh, some orphanages cost $25,000. Some cost upwards of $50,000. So it, it really just depends on the size. Rick, when I'm sitting on that Shark Tank seat, I constantly hear entrepreneurs, it feels like, one in three pitches say the same thing. For every pair of socks I sell or whatever widget I sell, we donate a dollar to this good cause. Somehow that never rings so true in my ear. I, I'm sure that people are sincere, but I always think to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't you make a profit in this business before you start saying mm -hmm. how much money you're going to give away? Plus, I'm sitting there always thinking like, well, that's your cause, not necessarily my cause. Something about that lacks genuineness. And I feel terrible saying that because I'm sure the people are standing there being genuine. But why didn't you take that typical route? Like we donate so much money if you buy our product. Why must you be active in it yourself and actually build the orphanages, make the profits, take chunks of money from your profits or bottom line and keep pouring it into these charities? I get your belief in it. But why did you go that route versus letting your buyer out there know, you know, we're good and you could be good with us and we're going to donate a dollar for every dollar you give us, that kind of thing. Why did you go a very different route? It just feels to me so much more heartfelt and more productive by a landslide. Hopefully we're smart business people and we understand that a business is kind of like a baby. You've got to take care of that baby. So before we set out to give all of the money away, we needed to become a profitable business and set things aside so the business could keep running in the event that something went wrong. So that was the goal was let's create a very profitable business. And once we get profitable and we're in a good, healthy financial situation, at that point, we can start giving back and having a bigger impact. But I agree with you, Barb. I think it's a bad idea for a company to start off giving when they don't even have things figured out. They don't have the proper staff. They don't have the proper processes. They don't even know what they don't know yet. So to give it all away before they even get started, to me, seems backwards. How do you keep your staff motivated on that dual cause of making a profit, but also building orphanages, or are they not involved in that? How does that play out with your employees? Do they care? Are they feeling like they're accomplishing a higher good because they know what you do with your profits? How many people do you actually have right now working at Grace and Lace? And how does that play out against their desires, thoughts, and their work ethic? We have currently about 75 employees when we saw you for the very first time on Shark Tank, we had six. I remember. And that, yeah. that was what, in 2013? Mm -hmm. uh, so things have grown quite a bit. As far as what do they think about it? Barb, every single person out there wants to be a part of something that's larger than themselves. I think everyone really wants to attach themselves to a mission that's much, much bigger. With Grace and Lace, they have that opportunity because yes, we are focused on a being a business. We are focused on being profitable. We have to be, or you won't be in business. But people love the fact that as we are profitable and do better and better year after year, that we give back and we have boots on the ground and we invite our staff. Like this coming December, we'll invite anyone that wants to come to India with us to open more orphanages so they can actually see the faces and see the lives that they're impacting. Wow. That's absolutely huge. It inspires people 
to get through the tough things that happen because let's face it, tough things happen in business all the time. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love, my friends at On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show. When I last visited your offices, I'm telling you, I thought I was in a church of sorts. Everybody was lit. Every, and I don't think it was that they were happy to see me. They were just the happiest group of workers. They, <laughs> they were, were definitely all happy hustling. to see you. <laughs> no hands in the pockets in your organization. Everyone seemed like, it almost was like walking into a happy beehive. I was like, whoa, these people are motivated. And then I kind of thought, well, maybe they are that happy to see me. But no, I had to be honest with myself. They were just very, very happy to be part of Grace and Lace. I didn't even realize how involved they were, like to invite them to come and see the orphanages. Man, that's phenomenal. That that makes it so real, right? Barb, you actually had a pretty big play in that, to be quite honest, because you helped us when we were starting to get a little off course with our hiring. You helped us to see how we started hiring initially, which is based on our core values. We started hiring people based on resumes. And we got people that were perfect on paper, but they didn't mm. fit our culture. And you helped us realize that we got a correct course and get back to hiring people that fit within our culture, that fit the core values. And since we've been doing that, we do have a tremendous staff that's absolutely incredible and they love being here. And mm. that makes it joyful, makes it exciting. And you know this probably way better than I do, Barb, but if you hire the wrong people, then you've got frustration, you've got pain, and potentially heartbreak headed your way. Even mm. if they're awesome on paper, if they don't fit your culture, it will never work out. And you helped us to see that. Well, I'll take full credit for that, but I don't even remember the conversation, but I'm happy to take credit. That's the truth. <laughs> How do you work together as a married couple? I get it. You're working side by side. You and Rick have very opposite talents. I couldn't imagine a more appropriate business partnership. But what do you do when you go home at night? You talk business, you hit the sack, and just as Rick is getting romantic, Melissa said, oh, one more thing about the office today. How does that play out, really? Realistically, no. Does. Really, is that an advantage or is it more of a disadvantage when you leave the place of employment or even when you go to work in the morning? If you haven't had the best night the night before, is that a problem? I think in many cases it's a and dream tell the come truth true. here, Rick. Tell the truth here, Rick. I, I am absolutely telling the truth. <laughs> He'll get to the um, truth after this first part. Okay, yes, good, yes. good. So <laughs> it's a dream come true for me because I always wanted to build businesses with my wife. I actually never wanted to do it alone, and I am over-the-top blessed with Melissa because she's incredible in so many ways that I admire, like her heart, her attention to detail, how she cares so deeply, the excellence that she works with. She's incredible in so many capacities. I but second that. that being said, <laughs> it's <laughs> certainly not always easy because we're both used to leading. We're both passionate people. If we're at a place of contention and if our egos are involved, which can be the case many times, especially for me, unfortunately, it can get <laughs> messy pretty quick. And so if we're dug in on something and think that our way is the only way or it's the best way, then it can definitely go sideways super fast. How do you resolve that? You do it at the office, you continue the discussion home at night. How do you settle differences? Do you have a formula that you could what share I've, with us? What uh, I've been learning over the years is that if we actually make time to listen to each other, we can figure things out. 
if we take a step back, if we detach from the situation and look at it from a 30,000 foot view with humility in mind, then we can typically work through any situation and we are getting better at this. The question that we've learned to ask each other is what's best for grace and lace? And when we take that approach and listen to each other, then we can typically work through the situation. So what do you do during a work day? I'm trying to visualize that. You say, we need a power conference here. Let's go in the conference room and talk this out and see what's best for Grace and Lace. Or do you talk about it at night at home? Is there ever a break from your business when you're married to your partner? That's one of the challenges, to be quite honest. Mm. How do you deal with it? Business can be all-consuming. You have to be intentional about it. One thing that we've been doing recently, which has been pretty incredible, believe it or not, is we lock our cell phones in an actual lockbox between 6 p.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that allows us to be present to each other. It allows us to be present to the kids. It takes us away from the lure of business and just allows us to kind of be normal people and a normal family. Mm. When you say a lockbox, I'm not familiar with that phrase. What does that mean? I'm assuming it's not a real like box a you lock. Yeah, it is. It's got a wait, combo wait, wait, code wait, wait. and you lock them up in there. Wait, you lock Rick up in there? Rick locks you up in there? You're getting together. We lock together. our phones in there. <laughs> Without the kids? And I swear to God, is this the truth? We lock our telephones. We take our cell phones, Rick and I cell phones, and from 6 o'clock until 9 o'clock every night, we take our phones or put them in that lockbox, lock them away. And so we have no access to our cell phones between 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. every night. Wow. What a different way of living. But do you know what I thought you were telling me earlier? I thought you were telling me you locked Rick up in a box with a safe combination. <laughs> she might That's why I'm like, to. this is the freakiest thing I ever heard. <laughs> no, our cell phones. Just our phones go in a lockbox. Makes such a difference. If you don't mind, I'm going to start that tonight. No, I love this idea. There's no break. There's absolutely no break. And you, exactly. it's too yep. too darn easy to form the habit of constantly just having a peek at your phone. It's like a rabbit hole. You go down it before you know it, it's two hours later. That's the best, smartest well, yeah, thing I've ever heard. This world that we live in, you're attached to your device. It's become such an epidemic and such an addiction for people. We didn't want to see the same thing happen with our children and oh. so Melissa and I talked about it and we said, we've got to be intentional because if we're not, we'll be wrapped up in it and we'll be doing business all day, every day, 24 seven, because it never goes away. There's always something to do. There's always something to improve. There's always people asking oh. questions. And if you're not intentional about it, then you'll be doing nothing but business. After I finish with this conversation, I'm going out and buying myself a lockbox. I really mean it. I know exactly where I could get one. My gosh, because I need the control myself. Certainly my daughter, Kate, who's 13, needs the control. I have a lock on her phone. She could only be on an hour. She's figured out how to unlock my lock somehow. How she does it, I don't know. They're smarter <laughs> than we are. But boy, that's black yes, and white. I love that idea. Hmm. Reminds me of when my mother, when we were kids, we had 10 kids, and we were allowed to watch one TV show a week, which was the Mitch Miller sing-along show, because my dad loved to sing, and he taught us how to sing, which was lovely. 
lovely. But boy, when my mother was out of the house, which was rare, we'd turn on that TV, put a blanket over it so she couldn't hear it, and we'd get under the blanket and sure. watch it. And then she removed the TV. She only brought it into the room once a week. That settled that. You're doing the modern-day version of that when it's 10 times more important, I think, right? Wow. Rick, you're going to be on American Ninja Warrior next month. Well, tell me about that. How did you get on that? I know you're built like a solid rock, you know, good-looking, hunky guy. But there's a lot of guys out there. How did you get on American Engine Warrior? And what are you going to do? Well, going I made to do the a usual phone course? call to my Shark Tank partner. <laughs> and my Shark Tank partner made a phone call and helped me to get on. So as you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Of course, sometimes I've been staying in shape and working hard. Uh, sometimes it is. That's true. But more often than not, it's who you know, not what you know. You know what I think? I think it's I think it's who you know to get into things makes it a lot easier. Yes. But even if you got in there and you couldn't compete and you didn't have the dedication to really succeed, you wouldn't have gotten in. I mean, all that is is the introduction. That's about as far as the right people go. After that, you have to earn every inch along the way. Wouldn't you think true of this instance of American Ninja Warrior Absolutely. and also with your business? Absolutely, yeah. There's no doubt about it. And that's one of the things that the producers said right away. They said, we love your story. It's great that Barbara connected us. But if you're not able to do it, you're not going to get on the show. And then how did you do it? Did you train how many hours a day? It's probably not during that time at night when everything's locked up, right? That's not no. your time. How do you <laughs> spend the time doing that, run a business, and get yourself in good enough shape mentally and physically to compete? Seems like a lot. I've put a high priority on being in shape my entire life. And so I've never gotten away from working out. It helps me mentally. Yes, it's a physical workout, but that helps me mentally and it clears my head. I've never gotten away from not working out my entire life. Uh, with American Ninja Warrior, I just needed to shift the time that I normally work out to different exercises. So it wasn't that difficult. But what I didn't understand is most of the kids that are competing in this have been doing it for five to 10 years. And My it gosh. also takes uh, grip strength and movement that I've never done in my entire life. Mm -hmm. So I am very much still a rookie and still learning, but it's a blast. And I think people are going to have a pretty good time watching it. And I think they're going to tell a great story with Grace and Lace. Oh, without a doubt, because it is such a great story. Wow, you better win or I'm going to really, I'm going to kill you, really. You better win. <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed by you. Hey, Melissa, I didn't listen to no, your answer you... before, and I'd very much like to hear it. What do you do to keep your batteries recharged, being the creative force of an ever-growing company? How do you keep yourself excited uh, to create a new fashion constantly? How do you do that? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, a lot of my design ideas, Barb, come from me standing in my own closet and feeling like I was lacking a certain style top, a certain way that I wished my jeans fit. I wish I had something this color. I wish this fit me different. When I design Barb, I'm solving my own problems. And mm. I think that is one of the strongest points when starting a business or continuing to have, you know, like you said, that drive and energy to keep going. As long as you are solving people's problems, you will have a successful business. 
And I feel like in my design, that's what I'm doing. I'm solving my problem. People often don't like how their jeans fit. They often don't like how their tops fit them. So I'm always trying to find the solution to a common design flaw or design problem. And that's something that keeps me going. Now, it's important also that I do recharge. You know, you can burn out easily. You can burn out running a business, burn out if you're focusing on something all the time. With recharging, that aspect is making sure I have alone time and vacation time and getting away with just Rick or getting away with my girlfriends or just taking that bike ride at sunset to refuel, recharge, restart so that you're not spinning those wheels 24 seven. Makes very, very good sense. I want to ask you one other question, if I may, assuming that you're a kid in college or you've been out of school a few years, I get so many questions like this all the time where you're a young person trying to quote, find your passion. It seems like it's a phrase that I hear constantly. I can't find my passion. I I just don't know what my passion is. Almost like people are lost looking for the passion and then they'll start the new business. What do you say to those people? Any good advice? Because I always grope a little bit on giving a good answer to that. I'm looking to hear your advice so that I could take credit for it and use it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's a super good question. I asked a similar question several years ago. Uh, It probably would have been two decades ago at this point, so it's more than several years. But I was asking a similar question to a mentor of mine about calling, about purpose. And he looked at me and he said, well, Rick, let me ask you a question. When you're in a bookstore, what books do you gravitate toward? And he said, whatever those books are, that's a clue to things that you're passionate about. And I really thought about that. Great answer. Um, and what I, books I'm were you passionate about business, but business is a broad term. How did you decide? Because I know before grace and lace, you had another very successful business. What happened in that bookstore? Was it just the business section? Oh, let me start a business. But then what do you start the business about? What's your product? What's your service? What did you do with it after you were at the bookstore? If you're in the bookstore and you, you figure out the answer to that question, of what you're passionate about. And let's just say it's business. Let's say it's being an entrepreneur and you start reading about business owners, about entrepreneurs, about things they've started. It's just a matter of time before ideas are going to start popping in your head. And Mm. you're going to say, I could do this, or I'd like to try this. Because of your passion to be an entrepreneur. How about you, Melissa? What would you answer to that? I think this realization kind of goes back to our story, really. I mean, it was through the loss of Hallie that I realized how much of a DIY person I was, how much I thrived in taking a piece of furniture and repainting it and refinishing it and then reselling it for hundreds and hundreds of dollars of that piece of furniture that I found at Goodwill. And I loved working with my hands and using a bolt of yarn to create a sock or a leg warmer. I didn't clue into that until her loss, that that is really what fulfilled me and which caused me to, you know, find fulfillment and purpose and drive to create. So for me, it it is that creation process, starting from scratch, starting from standing in my closet going, what type of top do I wish I had? And I'm going to make it. (laughs) Starting from scratch and figuring out a way to make it and produce it. 
And is that what you love most about being an entrepreneur, actually producing the product you produce, making your customers so happy, solving the problem of what to wear, how to look better, and then building the orphanages? I gave you a whole laundry list, but I was listening carefully. Yes, you did. Is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, is that where your passion comes from now? That's why you feel so satisfied. Or should I say, do yes. you feel satisfied? It's the double aspect. My heart and my passion is for women to look good and feel good in what they're wearing. I want them to feel like they are walking in their closet and they're not stuck there going, what do I wear? I don't like how that fits me. I don't like how that fits me. I don't love that color. But I want them to have a closet full of outfits that they can just walk in and grab. They know how to pair it. They know how to wear it. And most importantly, they look good and they feel good in it. My mission and my purpose really in designing is to do that, is to solve their closet and their clothing problems and to design items that they look and feel good in. Clear as a bell. Rick, uh, what's your answer to that question? What do you like best about being an entrepreneur? You clearly were attracted to business. You've built a big business the second time around. If I could narrow it for you, what's the one thing you like best? That's really difficult to narrow it down. All right, take two things or three (laughs) things or four things. Okay, go ahead. With business, I love the excitement, the adventure, the challenge, I think would probably be my number one answer to that. Because business is ever-changing, it's never boring, it's something that can be gut-wrenching at times, but the true entrepreneur thrives in that environment. Like Melissa, I love to figure things out as well. Another thing that I think I've always gravitated toward business is there's no ceiling on it. You're involved with the biggest game in the entire world. As long as you start learning a little bit more about scaling and delegation, There's no limitation whatsoever, and I hate limitation. I absolutely hate it. Uh, But if you're your (laughs) own business owner, then the sky is truly the limit. So that's what I would say about business. Let me share with people who are listening that I regularly get emails from Rick. I actually get them frequently enough. I wonder if you're working hard enough, but your emails are typically, we're going to do 5 million. I'm telling you, we're going to do eight. We're going to do 10. I'm like, God, geez, excited. I actually read your emails and I work twice as hard at my desk. I'm like, well, I'm not working as hard (laughs) as this guy. I'm not that excited. (laughs) You motivate me back, believe it or not, whenever I hear from you and then Melissa, behind your back, you should hear how Rick talks about you. If you haven't heard, I would say put a bug in him so you could hear what he says about you. I don't think there's another woman more adored on this earth than Rick adores you. I don't know if he tells you that to your face, but you ought to hear it directly. I'll start taking notes if you don't want to put a little bug in him somehow so you can record what he says, you know? Okay, yeah. Very, very happy partnership. Successful, happy Two people that I so much have learned to respect tremendously and admire, as I'm sure you're well aware. We could probably talk forever, but thank you very much. I think very inspirational on many fronts, and people will have a lot to learn. Thank you for all of us. Well, Barb, thank you so much. And again, we couldn't be more ecstatic to be in business with you, and we want to do great things together. Oh, you already have. If you quit tomorrow, I I would be okay with that. If you said, we quit, we've done enough, I would say, okay, thanks. It's been a phenomenal (laughs) ride. (laughs) We've barely just gotten started. Oh, God. (sighs) Hope I live that long. (laughs) Okay, thanks so very much. Thanks for giving me your time and your thoughts. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Thanks, Barb. Love you. Ciao, ciao. Where do you listen to Business Unusual? 
I really want to know. And guess what? If you show me, you might have a chance to spend an hour with me. All you've got to do is post a photo on Instagram showing me the unusual places where you listen to my podcast. Be sure to use the hashtag businessunusual when you post the photo and make sure it's a public account so I can see it. A random winner will get to spend an hour with me on Skype or at my office here in New York City, whichever you prefer. Show me your photos by June 3rd and I'll have fun seeing all the places you listen. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio podcast network. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.